Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Ali Zyre, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Man, you know, I got to tell you, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm always excited to do it. But this morning, I like hopped out of bed. I was so excited to talk to you about your work, and because <laughs> I have been, I discovered you. I don't know, maybe six months, nine months ago, or something. And uh, as those people who watch the podcast know I've been trying to become a better landscape painter and and I've also been kind of tinkering around with gouache which is really intimidating for me and you are a master at it you're so good well thank you thank you and it's funny because me the gouache medium I mean I was first introduced to that medium oh let me think probably back in 2000 seven no 2016 2016 and it was john burton who i was down over at the maynard dixon camp out and um i was pregnant at the time with our third or our fourth baby and john burton showed me his sketchbook and he's like you gotta do gouache this is so great and it's so convenient as a working mom and a busy mom and at that point i was just fascinated by what he could do with it but i put it in the back of my head and was like eh. I'm not going to deal with it right now. I want to concentrate on oil. And then it's really been the last little bit seeing other artists, um, artists like Scott Christensen, Mike Hernandez, Tiffany Bang, um, seeing what they're doing in gouache. And I'm like, okay, I want to try this. And it's like, it's like reemerging. It's this old centuries old medium, but it's got this fresh new light to it that I think is really captivating artists in, in adding it to your workflow. Yeah. So how do you balance between oil and gouache? Yeah. So the, kind of the process lately has really been, if I've got an idea and I've been on location and I've, um, I've painted or I've sketched and I'm coming home with some pretty raw color notes anymore. My, my attempt at plein air painting is no longer to complete a painting on site. It's now a mindset of how can I, bring back some color notes and an essence of what I've seen. Coupled with that, along with my photographs, then in the studio here, you can see my edge of my table. I just have my gouache palette set up and then I'm doing small studies. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. Doing small studies in the studio with my gouache. Um, and then from there, I'm taking those small studies that are all figured out. And I'm also doing some digital editing too amongst that process um coming up with this small study and then from there working that up into an oil painting okay so that's kind of so how i'm doing it now what about selling your gouache because you know as a working artist i i mean i don't know about you but i have to think about that because i've got a supportive family so if uh if i go out in the field and i've got the option of doing a gouache or the option of doing oil i know i can sell an oil 
but I don't know that I can sell a gouache. And uh, it's not because I haven't, it mostly just because I haven't tried. I, I have no idea how they sell. I don't know what the market's like. What has your experience been, or have you even tried to sell gouache paintings? I, I have, and I feel like it's it's just at the very beginning. Like we're just starting now this whole idea of gouache being in potentially a gallery and standing on its own next to these fabulous oil paintings. Um, so far it's been mostly the other artists because I think there's an intrigue there that they're interested to say, whoa, how do, how do we use this medium? How are you using it? I wanna learn and I want to study for myself. Um, I'm at the very beginning stages of putting my work out into the gallery and into shows. So I just um, got an award with the American Impressionist Society, which uh, Kwang Ho was the judge. Whoa, and that's quite an honor. This, this little painting, I mean, Jeff, it is six by six inches. And I thought, it's going to be passed over. No way. This is so tiny compared to all the other great paintings that will be in this exhibit. And I was just floored when received recognition for something so small. Um, wow. But that then tells me. And it yeah, was a gouache? It was gouache. It was a gouache. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it's on there. But um, I don't know. I think there's something there and just encouragement from other uh, art patrons, very renowned art patrons who, who understand the market um, with encouragement from them, just saying, I think there there's potential here to sell these and to make them they're almost their standalone paintings yeah i hope so because i love them i love that matte quality to it i don't know what it is about it the matte quality the only thing that frustrates me is it's got to go behind glass or you got to varnish it and then you lose the matte quality and those, those you know two things and frustrate it's, me it's funny because i don't know that i like the matte quality oh you don't exactly I think that's exactly why I'm painting on Arches watercolor paper. Like I have not yet tried an illustration board or anything like that. I, I want a finish that has soft edges and those hard edges. I want both. So that's why working in uh, the Arches watercolor paper has really been helpful for me. And then I've also, prior to painting in oil, you know, my undergrad, my whole final show was all in watercolor and these photo transfers with watercolor. So my first experience even into art was with a water media. So looking back on my whole experience here in painting, first started out with watercolor, then went to oil painting. Now I'm going in a sense to this water medium again, that's almost pairing watercolor and oil together. And it's allowing me to create edge work and uh, texture buildup that you just simply can't with watercolor, but it's just a great medium to now pair both worlds to formulate an idea and to get it out there. Okay, so why does using watercolor paper help you create soft and hard edges as opposed to illustration board? Well, so never having painted on the illustration board, I don't know if you can get a wet and wet wash on the illustration board. Can you do that? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I have you here. I, I want to pick your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to try that. So, okay, let me... I'm just gonna pull this up. Can okay. you still see this? Yeah, that's the one you oh. just posted. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so like this whole pass, I'm just gonna walk you through how I even did this. Oh my Does gosh. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so you know, obviously I'm taping out this is Arch's watercolor paper. It's 140 cold press. Wait a minute, let's do something um, different. Let's let's do this here. I'm gonna put you 
I'm going to have you holding it, but I'm also going to pull it up so we have a better oh, image of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Okay, yeah. perfect. So the whole tree mass where you're seeing these beautiful yellow okery trees like this and even the foreground, I first am wetting my watercolor paper and laying in, it would almost be like an underpainting, a wash, right? With mm -hmm. watercolor. But so also on my palette, I have watercolor paint and gouache media paint. So I'm kind of in a sense using both. So this Okay, but before you go on, isn't isn't gouache essentially watercolor without if you're not using white anyway? It can be. It's got more opacity to it, and it's made with honey. So I use M. Graham gouache paint. Um, it's made with honey. It just can be re-wet. It's slightly different, in, but it's also similar enough that you can pair both of them. I've tried using acrylic paint with my gouache, and that was a bad idea because then I had little flecks of the plastic of the acrylic paint sitting on top of my Oh yeah. Um, Wash pot. So that was that was a bad idea. Like I I painted with acrylic paint on top of an area of gouache, especially when I needed that white opacity to really come forward, and I wasn't getting there enough with the gouache paint. So then I dipped right into the acrylic. But again, if you're taking your brush and you're dipping into acrylic, and then you're dipping into gouache, back to acrylic, back to gouache or watercolor, you're going to get that plastic stuff. So okay. So with the watercolor, though, the so I guess why I'm asking is because can't you just create washes with gouache? Why do you need to have watercolor? You're right. So I did. What I was trying to say, and I probably didn't clearly say it, is that I did lay in a wash with gouache. Okay. That was just very similar to starting a watercolor paint. Okay. Gotcha. So it's very light. Yeah. So so that's what I did. So just laid it all in, and then once I laid in that wash that's where I went on top and I really sketched in with a pencil and started drawing my trees because one thing I don't want is I don't want that graphite to mix in with my paint to then be seen in my paint so I went on top with my pencil drawing and then from there it's just building and building so you can see that there's some areas where the paint is blending and it's a soft washed edge especially up yeah. here in this tree yeah and then you're going to see areas where it's thick and it's a hard edge. So that's what I'm after when I'm painting, because then in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, oil painting, where am I doing a soft edge? Where am I doing a hard edge? Where am I putting a dry brush over top? Where do I want light, especially in these tree trunks on the very bottom? You're seeing a lot of white passage and dry brushing on top of a dark value pattern in the background. Yeah. So it's just the combination. And then honestly, I think the biggest common frustration with anyone working in gouache is that it dries darker than what you expect. Oh yeah, it dries me crazy. It's it's a little maddening. And so one helpful tip would be to have a separate piece of paper and just mix your paint on your palette and then dab it over on this extra piece of paper. Wait a couple seconds, grab your hair dryer, dry it, see how that value dries. So then you That's can really gold. test the yeah, so that's easier. That I mean, is you just, gold. I love it. So just I just <laughs> I just interviewed James Gurney. Uh, you have to be familiar with James Gurney, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, who's not? <laughs> but right. He Amazing. said he's brilliant, <laughs> and and this guy is full of information, absolutely full of information. So this certainly isn't a knock. But I asked him, you know, is there a tip for dealing with 
you know, this problem of darks get or lights getting darker and darks getting lighter. And he says, well, you just kind of get used to it. And I'm like, oh, give me a tip, man. Give me something else to work with because it's so frustrating. So, you know, and I get it. He probably never did what you just suggested and he did get used to it. So kudos to him. But thank you for that. I'm going to try that right away. I love that. And then grab, keep your squirt bottle handy. I mean, especially working in the studio here with gouache, I use the large watercolor palette. Yeah. And um, and then I, I did take my gouache out on a family trip that we took to Alaska in July. And then I had a small portable um, palette. And so in the studio, I definitely want as large as I can. So then I'm mixing pools of paint. And then if I need to reactivate that paint, I'm just squirting it with a squirt bottle. So I'm not having to remix. And how do I get that color again? So it's similar to like painting an oil and you're making big pools of paint on your palette. You're just doing it on the gouache palette. Is this gouache palette one of those palettes that's got the little compartments, like little? Yeah. Yeah. Can you show us? That'd be great. Okay, so, and gouache will will dry just like watercolor. So it's, you know, you reactivate it. So this is my palette. Okay. And you can see here, G and W. Yeah, what's that? So one's watercolor, one's gouache. Oh, interesting. So I just wanted to see if I could, when I was first testing this out, I'm like, can I really mix the two of them together? Can I use both? Can I... Just because there's a few colors that I like that M. Graham does not make in gouache. And then, but they do have it in watercolor. Um, then this was the palette that I took with me to Alaska. And this looks great. So it's all crusted over. But anyways, that was the part. So you don't even clean it. You don't even clean the palette that you mix on. <laughs> I haven't yet. And honestly, if I were to take the squirt bottle right now and spray on here, it would reactivate this paint. But so that's what I mean. Like if, you if would I'm start doing, a fresh painting without cleaning the palette? I could, yeah. Because then all of this right here, I mean, this is great neutrals to work from, right? You just need to lay what? down a neutral. and So you could, yeah. It's it's phenomenal that this can be reused. Now, if this was acrylic, no way, right? Right. You're a mess. Right. Yeah, it's fun. So what about the fluidity of the paint, the butteriness of the paint? If you let it dry in all of those little paint wells, can you get back that kind of buttery quality? It's hard. You know, I have done it where if I know I'm painting, let's say if I was going to go in and paint and I knew I needed to have my, my soft buttery paint, I'd probably wet that whole palette the night before. And then you can just take a palette knife or a small the other end of your paintbrush and kind of stir those wells where the paint is. And that will help get that water and the paint rebound together. So it's more fluid. Otherwise you run into the problem of your brush might have too much water on it and you're not picking up enough pigment in those wells. And so then your gouache paint becomes really transparent. And I remember that was probably a problem that I had very early on when I was just exploring gouache. I was really frustrated that, they still look like watercolor. I'm like, well, what's the point of me working in gouache if I can't get this to be as opaque and as thick as what I'm seeing these other artists accomplish? And how long does it take for you to fully saturate it? What if I get up in the morning and I decide I want to paint last minute? I mean, is there any way to accelerate that process? I think you would just have to say, keep your tubes of paint handy. Oh, okay. So, 
you're just gonna, you know, tube out your your ones that you're wanting to use okay. immediately. And you'll just put so, the new paint right on top of the old paint. Yeah, I will. Okay. And then to do that gouache painting of the tree landscape, um, I actually ended up having an extra plastic palette. And from there, I pulled, ugh, my words aren't coming, poured out the paint from the tubes. And I actually got my palette knife and mixed my titanium white, yellow ochre, what else, maybe azo green or something, and a little bit of cad yellow light. But I mixed a pool with my palette knife to get enough pigment and paint so I didn't have to then remix and remix. And so, I don't know. I think I'm just trying to find ways to get the job done and to work larger. That's a goal of mine is to work larger in gouache before it was always just small, tiny little studies. But now I feel like, no, I want like an eight by 10, 11 by 14. Can I even do a 10 by 18 in gouache? Does that even make sense? You know, with how small those tubes of, of paint are, but I don't know. It's a challenge that I think can be fun and exciting and helps get your brain thinking in different ways of how you can even use the medium and manipulate the medium. Hmm. Okay, so one more question about it. Well, I'm sure there'll be many more actually, but one question I have is there is an artist, um, I can't remember her name. Uh, oh, it'll come to me, but there's yeah. an artist that I follow that does gouache as well. And she uses this container that has a bunch of wells in it and then it seals up tight. It's got okay. like a gasket on it so that they stay wet for months. And I, I went and bought one of those things. I put my gouache in it. But what I found was that as I dip my brush in all these wells of paint, I'd make them all filthy. I, I just, the paint would end up getting all mixed together. And then I just gave up on it because after three or four paintings, every single well was just this muddy mess. And right. So I, yeah, I think then it would be like, that's why this extra plastic palette was so handy. If you if you do that in a sense, kind of like an oil painting palette would, you can keep that paint a little bit cleaner. But I want to know what that palette was to keep the paint Here, let me go get fresh. it. Hold on. Kill. Hold that, that thought. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> cool, but hold on. Okay, so the artist who introduced me to this palette. Her name is Lena Revo. She's got this okay. really cool YouTube channel. And uh, let me show you this. So this is her YouTube channel. And she does these beautiful, just, I don't know, her work is just really, really nice. Oh, yeah. yeah, see how pretty that is? Like just beautiful and a great YouTube channel. <laughs> anyway, so she introduced this palette um, to me. It's uh, it's called the T R A T R A N S O N Transon, but okay. it's uh, let me switch screens here. But it's got so it's got it seals up around the edges like this, nice. and it's got a big old rubber gasket. See that whole top is rubber, and then the okay. paint stays wet. But see, I've had this sitting in the cabinet for a year, probably because I stopped using it, it's still wet. Yeah, well, that's it's, amazing. I mean, it's not wet, wet, but I can still dent it. You know what I mean? It's not hard, hard. And that's been so like then a year. You, 
so if that's where you're holding your paint, what are you then using? To, no, I'm to not. Mix your that's the thing is I'm not using this because I found I was making it all dirty. So I, and I want to use yeah. this, but I found like, you know, I, I put white, I'd put white on my brush or another color on my brush. I dip into the blue and now I've got that white and red or whatever yellow in the blue. And I just thought if I just keep adding to this, eventually every single color is going to be so polluted with other colors. But then I watch her videos and hers just seem crisp and clean. So I don't know what she's doing, but I wonder you know, if you had any thoughts on that. The only thing I can say is I'm pretty big on wiping and washing my brush out in between dipping to mixtures. Okay. Because I mean, you can see, you can see how clean mine are. And yeah, you're essentially I've doing the it. same thing. Yeah. It's just, you yeah. don't have the but gasket. In here. So, yeah. But you know. still have to take, you know, if you dip into a blue paint, right. And then you need to mix green. So now you've right. got blue on your brush and you grab some yellow. Now you have blue in the yellow, right? So it's pretty much if I'm taking my paintbrush, mixing into the blue, I'm putting the blue on the middle of the palette. I might be dipping my brush into water again, cleaning it off, grabbing the green and remixing on this palette. That's, so that's what you're I'm doing. Not. So you're adding a step. A little bit. Mm -hmm. So you, can, you bit. can't treat this like oil then. You can't just be bouncing around at hyper uh, speed between... I yeah, I mean, I'm sure I do, but I'm pretty good at cleaning that out, especially the yellow. Because if you get your yellow, anything touching that yellow, you're like, well, then it's gone. It's going to be a tint of green here and there, or a tint of orange. And yeah, I just don't want that. Okay, maybe I should go back to this palette because it's it makes I mean, a lot of sense I, otherwise. I, yeah, give it a try. Mm -hmm. I think it's like nine bucks on Amazon or something. It's not very expensive. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got it written down. Yeah. Good. Good. So, okay. So I want to know what your history is. How did you end up getting into painting? Yeah, you bet. So I grew up in a home where art was prevalent and I look back on that now and think, wow, I was really, really fortunate to have that experience. So my dad actually paints and he has sold his work in Jackson Hole for the last 40 years. Whoa. And he's a landscape painter. Mm -hmm. So he's a landscape painter. He does the Tetons. So much of my childhood was seeing my dad in his studio painting, painting the Tetons. And I have a distinct memory where I was in my nightgown and my dad was painting and it was late at night and he was using the palette knife and mixing blue grays for the Tetons. And I just was memorized by the fact how fast his hand moved back and forth with the palette knife and that he knew to dip into these pure saturated colors to become a neutral gray you know in my mind in that child moment i didn't know what that was but i was just fascinated that he knew how to mix the paint and he could apply it and i remember distinctively thinking i want to do this i want to be an artist and so like anybody who's probably good at drawing you know years you enter work into the reflections contest you do you do different things. The students are asking you to draw theirs because it looks really good and you get encouragement. And so then it came to um, years of, okay, I'm going to college. What am I going to do? Um, gosh, explored maybe like interior design because I just wasn't sure. I just, it was too hard for me to figure out graduating high school. What do I really want to do? So then I um, just took art classes along the way because I loved it. And so 
I studied at uh, what at the time was Ricks College for one year, and then it turned to BYU-Idaho and took classes and then just got my associate's degree. And at that point, um, met my husband. And so we were married my second year or just the tail end of our second year. And then we went down and transferred to BYU down in Provo. And at that point, it was like, okay, yep, I'm going to major in art. And it was so funny because when anybody would ask me, oh, what's your major? What are you interested in? What are you doing? I'm like, well, I like art. And then it's like crickets. I know, <laughs> right? So, like, they don't <laughs> have any concept or you get the response, oh, my grandma paints. And I'm like, no, like, my, I had an upbringing <laughs> where we were traveling in the van and the smell of oil oh, paint man. filled the van and we dropped them off and we were in and out of galleries and like, there's a thing here, like you can do this. And, but then the question always is, well, how, how do you do it? I distinctly remember having my, getting my degree and walking across the stage and feeling still frustrated that I don't know how to paint. I'm not a better artist here. I've yeah. gone through education and ah, I still don't know how to paint. And so that was a learning curve, a big learning curve because my childhood was, I was so um, stimulated by traditional artwork. And then my, my education was nothing but the opposite. So that was really hard for me to process, to understand, to get it. I just didn't get it. <laughs> I tried to find any type of traditional artist I could at the university to try to align myself to them. And anyways, so that, that, that was a whole learning experience. But um, so after that, uh, so here I am, married at BYU, graduated. Um, my husband and I both trying to figure out what are, what are we doing? What, what What's next? Obviously, we need to work and support ourselves and, and work during schooling. And then it was also a point to where we went and worked full time. And I kind of put art in my back pocket to support my husband through law school. So kids for us came much later, eight years into our marriage, not by choice, but just the way it happened. And so by about 2007, 2008, that's when my husband decided he wanted to go to law school. So that took us to Oregon and I actually worked full time as a um, paralegal. I shouldn't say paralegal, legal assistant because I didn't have any training. But it was really, it was a great experience. And I wish I could say that I painted heavily, but I didn't. It was just, I don't know. I look back on that now and feel like, man, I should have been taking classes. I should have just furthered my study even more. But it was a time of life where I'm like, no, the whole concentration right now needs to be on helping support Hiramani financially and then getting him through law school. So right. that then took three years of that. And I, I dabbled and painted and um, did a few things, but nothing seriously. So then we, um, he graduated in 2010 and we were finally expecting our first uh, baby, which was great. And then it was a few years of the kids and and babies and so i i just didn't paint and i remember looking back on that stage now and as much as you love your kids and you love that and you want that and we waited so long it was also a depressing time for me and mm -hmm. i think it was because i purposely put aside an aspect of me that was so meaningful and so important and I put it aside, and I think this can come from the culture of um, my upbringing or 
I don't know, just the mentality of, you know, my children, my family are more important. And so I would constantly, as I'm trying to take care of our home, take care of these young babies, I thought, oh, I shouldn't pay right now. I got to go fold the laundry. Mm-hmm. And so that brings of thought just kept running through my head, running through my head. So baby number two comes along and then baby number three comes along. And then um, this was a real impactful period of my life because our third child was stillborn at 34 weeks. Oh, that must and so hard. it was, you know, as a parent and the excitement of growing your family and the heartache that we had just to try to get our family here, I felt like, okay, that's my trial. That's, that's, I'm through, we're done, good, check it off the list, let's move forward. And so when I found out that our son Andrew was stillborn, um, gosh, it just hit me like a train of bricks, or just a train, it was just really tough. But it was also a very eye-opening experience for me in terms of art to recognize and realize how much I had been putting off something that I needed back in my life. And so over a year's time, I allowed myself to process that. It was just a matter of healing and, and letting myself navigate that loss and letting that happen. And so that was 2013 when we lost him. I allowed myself to process everything for 2014. And then 2015, I finally realized I need something back and it was art. And I, at that point, you're a young mom and you're like, what does that even look like? I don't even know. But I remember thinking, well, okay, let's go learn, learn from an artist. So then I sought out and we, my husband and I had taken a trip to um, Sun Valley and it was the Wood River Fine Arts Gallery where I saw Catherine Stett's paintings and her work. And I loved her work, the colors, everything about it, her paint application, her ability to to be impressionistic, yet yet form was there, and, and you know that a, f- a floral or a landscape looks like what it does. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I found out that she was teaching a workshop, so I took her workshop. And it's so funny because in my mind I was like, I can't take off. I got these young kids. Like take off for four days? What? No way. That's not going to happen. And it was my husband that was like, Allie, why can't you do this? You, I can help take care of the kids. My mom can help take care of the kids. And I think especially for female artists in those young mothering stages, you truly need a village to help make it work because mm-hmm. it is overwhelming. And I guess I should say for male artists too, who are trying to make it happen and, and make the career move forward while the wife might work. Um, you just need the support. And if you can have that, Oh my gosh, count your lucky stars and just say thanks because it's huge. So that was the tipping point. Seeing and taking the the workshop from Catherine um, helped me recognize at that point that yes, I want this. Yes, I want it at a professional level. Yes, I recognize it's going to take a lot of time. It'll probably take, and I sat down and I wrote this all out. And I said, it's going to take five years to get there. Yes, I want it. How do I do it? And at that point, stepping back in and knowing that I wanted galleries coming from watercolor and recognizing, but I need oil because what I'm seeing in these galleries that I want and the caliber of art, I've got to understand how to paint oil. I just have to take a minute to thank each one of my generous patrons for your part in keeping this podcast going. I could not continue to do it without you. So thank you so much. 
If you're not a patron yet, but you love the show and you listen regularly, please consider becoming a patron. It's really easy to do and it doesn't have to break the bank. Just head over to theundrapedartist.com and click on the link, Be My Patron on Podbean. And then choose a monthly donation amount that fits your budget. It's that simple. And to thank you for your generous donations, once you've reached $100 in total contributions, send me an email to theundrapedartist at gmail.com and I will send you one of our spectacular undraped artist aprons. Mm-hmm. So then I, after I graduated, so go, let's go back five years. After I graduated from BYU, my dad gave me a, a Scott Christensen CD DVD on how to paint the landscape. And that was great because I thought I can do this. This is so easy. And I realized, no, this is hard, <laughs> but um, anyway, so. So why so wasn't was, your dad teaching you? Yeah. So I think he was, he did and he helped encourage me, but I think it was just, they were more there to help me su- mentally supportive in those young mothering stages helping me navigate what it meant to be a new mom, helping me navigate what it means to have a loss, and then just encourage me, okay. encouraging me. So that was the best. So I didn't, yeah. I didn't, and I think also too, my dad was so good to just say, here, let me help you. Let me provide you some good resources. You don't have to do it the way I do. Here's an artist that I look to, that I admire, learn from the best. Mm-hmm. And him recognizing, I'm not the best of the best. Let's get you to learn from the best of okay. the best. So I appreciated that a lot. Um, so yeah, so here it was 2015, took that Catherine Stats workshop, recognized where I wanted to go. Um, I then, at that point, plein air was a pretty big deal. And so I just kind of got into the plein air scene of things and did a Spring City Arts competition, their plein air event down there, which is phenomenal and wonderful. and. Uh, Catherine actually judged that year and I went down there, uh, and did that and kind of followed her down there and won an award. And that was really encouraging. And from that point, I did some other plein air events and won some awards and just kind of got it going. And I think a big, the big tipping point for me was to how to get this to be professional level and not just workshop attendee, plein air event, win a small award. How do I get up here? How do I do this? Then I, knowing Jackson and that Jackson market, I then decided, okay, I'm going to go do the Drew's Planner event. And um, I tell you what, for any artist who's out there in this phase of life, coupled with every success, it's always coupled with unbelievable pushback. Like it's hard. It is so hard. And so here we are at the 2017 doing the Driggs Planner event. I've got my whole family there. I've got my parents with me. Uh, my little guy, our uh, Travis, who looks like our third child, but is really our fourth. Um, he was eight months old and I'm trying to do this planner event, try to make it work. And I remember one night Travis wasn't sleeping well. And so my husband was strolling him down the hallway of the hotel and I'm trying to sleep and then I'm like, okay, one more day to paint. How am I going to make this work? How can I even possibly have the wherewithal to go out and, and do it? And I remember driving around that day and then I saw this fantastic barn and the lighting and all the, the junk, the piles of colors of junk right underneath it. And I was like, that's what I want to paint. And so I stopped and painted 
And um, that was the painting that won the best of show for the Driggs Plenary event. Wow. And that got, yeah, it was great. That got me on the radar for Jim Wilcox. And uh, he was so encouraging. You know, just said, call me in a year. Let's see where your work is in a year. And I was too afraid. I was like, no way. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not really? ready. I'm like, oh, I'm too scared. But then I met him the next year. I did a plein air event called Plain Air for the Parks. And that was just um, painting in around Teton National Park with various great artists. And uh, went to church on Sunday and I saw Jim at church. And so now let's go back 40 years. So my dad painting in Jackson, he and Jim knew of each other because hmm. they were starting having their careers there. So my dad knew Jim Wilcox and Jim Wilcox knew my dad. Jim Wilcox knew me from the Driggs event and my painting and my work, but he didn't know that we were father and daughter. Oh, no kidding. So we met him at the church. He's like, I know you and I know you, but I didn't know this. And so it was at that point that he then said, okay, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. And so that was 2018 and the invitation was given then to join the Wilcox gallery. And then again, like that pushback, it was life. It was kids. And I remember getting a phone call around Easter time from Jim to say, Hey, do you have any work We're, we've got our 50th anniversary show coming? Do you have work for us? And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I've got my kids. And, and I remember again thinking, Ali, you're letting this golden opportunity sit through your fingers like sand. If you don't put in the time and if you don't put in the work and get yourself in gear and prioritize this. So again, this whole life balance of being a professional artist is, is prioritizing every aspect, prioritizing family, prioritizing painting when it needs to happen, all of that. And so that was a shift point where I'm like, okay, so I got up at 6 a.m. and started painting again and just try to do anything I could to just make paintings happen and bring it to the gallery. And that was 2019. And that's been the tipping point. Oh, for you are a new artist. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. You're I'm a baby. Baby. <laughs> just 2019. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. So it's been great. Man, and then, your work looks like you've been painting. I mean, you have been painting a while, but still your work's like, not, it looks like you've been in the field for 20 years. Uh, I appreciate that. I don't know that I feel that, but thank you. Well, like, if you did, you'd probably suck. <laughs> I mean, that's how it goes. When you when you love your work, you usually suck. <laughs> that's, right? Yeah. Man, yeah, congratulations. That's amazing. Okay, so we got to back up here because I've got so many yeah. questions. I didn't want to cut you off, but you're giving me all oh, this sorry. stuff. No, no, no. You, you, you had a flow here. So first question is, did you keep your father's name? Was he an established enough artist that it would have been a benefit anyway? I don't think so. And I knew I, I, so I did not keep his name. I wanted my own success to come from me. Okay. And I think, and especially like looking back on that Driggs event in 2017, I knew that my dad and Jim had a relationship and I knew that he did not know who I was. And I remember seeing Jim walking the show and I was like, I'm not going to say anything because I want anything to happen from this event to be around the merits of my work and my work alone. And so there was two judges. It was Aaron Shore and Jim Wilcox that went around the room and, you know, judged the entire event compared their notes and they said this at the event that never before have they both 
in any other time that they've judged an event been even and the same as to the, the, the best of show painting. And that wow. was my painting. Both of them on independently of each other had my painting selected. And when they said that, like, that's what I needed. Just yeah. the confirmation, validation to say, okay, my standalone, what I do has merit. Because if you were to look at my paintings compared to my dad's, they're so different. I'm definitely more impressionistic. I'm more globby paint. I'm more brushy. Um, I'm more of the close-up stuff. He does the beautiful mountain vistas, like okay. the atmospheric which I can't even do that. I don't know how he does it. So right. we're just very different in our paint application and subject matter. Because I remember being a kid and yeah, we're at the Tetons, but I remember this was pre-Kindle days, pre-iPads, pre-movie watching days in the car and just watching the rolling landscape go by. And I was like, I like this stuff below the Tetons more than I like the Tetons. I liked the barns. I liked all the trees. And, yeah. and that's what I loved more. And that's what I'm painting. Great. Okay. Another question. So I've got a daughter who is studying under me. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, you've brought up a lot of thoughts, you know, so, and I just want to run some stuff by you because she wants to be a mother and, but she also wants to be a painter. Yes. And I want to get your opinion on my advice and be, be completely honest. This is the advice I've given to my daughter and uh, advice I would give to any young woman who wants to be a mother and a painter. Right. And when I say be a mother, I don't mean just give birth. I mean, be home with kids. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Be yes. an active mother. So I told her, um, just bust your tail before you have kids, develop a reputation, get a career going, so that you have a steady income and a steady flow of work and then just pay for all the mundane tasks as like folding laundry as you put you thought of should i just fold laundry pay for that pay for dinner pay for everything else pay for housekeeping and just just do the mother thing and but you in order to do that you have to get your career going before you start having kids what do you think of that advice am i way off track I love I wish someone would have told me that. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you had eight years. You actually had eight years. <laughs> yes. So that's yeah. Like. Well, but how would you know? How would you know? You couldn't have known. You don't. But yeah, yeah you really do. But it's so funny because I look at it now. I'm like, I am more busy than I have ever been in my life. And I thought yeah. I was busy back then, but just the two of us working full time. So, so yes, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think what you've alluded to exactly what I wrote down here was get help. Like I have a babysitter come four days out of the week. So that way my kids can have someone going up helping them down there while I'm up here painting. And yeah. that's huge for me. And it's, it makes my kids happy. So yes, anytime that you can get help and also scheduling that time. Now I would feel definite pressure, which I'm like, I can see the point of get your career out there, get it going. It would be hard to juggle demands of your career with children, but I'm, I guess I'm doing that now. And again, the answer becomes get help, whatever that is, a housekeeper, a babysitter, what, I don't know, just get help and prioritize your time and chunk that time. Because truly the mindset, which I kind of chuckle and laugh because I have this mindset too, of. Uh, well, just get your paints out and while they're playing, do something at the table. Well, yeah, but you get interrupted. 
so many times and you leave that day feeling like I never accomplished anything on art and I never really fully engaged in my kids. So be present with your kids and then let your kids realize, no, this is my working time. Be present at work. And right. That's great advice. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your career now. So what galleries are you in currently? So I've got my work in the Wilcox Gallery and then Relics Gallery in Holiday, Utah. So far, the Wilcox in Gallery Holiday. Is yeah, I know. And really? I, I feel bad saying that because I haven't given them anything new for a long time. So I need to get new stuff to them. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> well, Holiday is such an obscure place to have your art. Yeah. No, no offense is. to Relics and, Gallery. I've never heard of them. I don't know who they are, but I mean, they. I'm no, sure they're great. They, I'm sure they're great, but... They, they are great. And it's funny because I got into their gallery based on a commission that I did for friends way back when they saw my work. And, and again, it was at a time where I was like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. And sales picked up and stuff. And it was great. And I've had good sales from there. But really, truly, so they can the move work in holiday. Well, yes, holiday's a rich Wait, suburb. Yeah, that, that's the key. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Yeah. So to the, for those who don't know, the reason I'm acting surprised is Holiday is a beautiful suburb of Salt Lake City, but it's a suburb. So I thought, what? You're showing in a suburb? Most people show in cities, major cities. So that's right. what, the only reason it was a surprise. But then then it occurred to me, yeah, but it's a pretty wealthy suburb. So that actually yeah, makes sense. Is. Yeah. And it's good. And honestly, with the success of the Wilcox Gallery, you know, that becomes the golden nugget and the baby. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to shift work there right right and and now that so and also too up to this point um i've only had very minimal time to paint so my youngest was in kindergarten last year so the last year was the first time of having a solid chunk of time to actually dedicate to paint from 10 to 3 and it was golden and i'm now on year two so now i feel like okay the door can open i think i can explore what this looks like on maybe doing some teaching, online teaching, how do I do that? More work to the galleries, branching out to another gallery or even refreshing work to a gallery that I haven't done anything with for a long time. <laughs> wow, yeah, man, once your kids are in school, that's a big change. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at some of your work. Yeah. Uh, we'll pull up your website first here. And uh, so do you have all your gouache and oil in the same place? Uh, you know what? I don't think I have any of my gouache on my website. Okay, so Instagram we'll look at your oil first, and then we'll go look at some of your gouache then. Okay. Um, so first thing I wanted to point out was, I totally understand what you're saying. You seem to just, it's almost like you're taking painting scenes and then cropping them. Yes, yeah. You know, you're just taking little pieces of the scene and zeroing in on them. And man, they are loose and yet they totally come together and feel like, when you had mentioned that, I can't remember who the artist was that you had said this about, but that you love the looseness, but still that this artist's ability to describe form, you're doing the same thing. Brilliant. Oh, thank you. That's, I definitely, for my work, and I have reminders plastered all over my studio here of, I want implications. I want to imply, I want the essence of, you know, a tree is going to look like a tree, a barn is going to look like a barn, but I want it to be impressionistic. And I want 
mark making. I want scrubby brushing. I want all of that in my work. And so it takes some time to get there. And I feel like I'm still getting there. Um, and certainly trying to improve with each, each painting that I do. But the gouache right now has just allowed me to have the roadmap to get there. And mm. it's so freeing. Okay, we got to look at the gouache then. So here's your Instagram. Yeah. And let's see where we got some gouaches. This looks like a gouache right here. Yeah, so that was on location in Alaska. That was Sitka, Alaska. Or was that Ketchikan? I can't remember. I don't so that was a learning experience to paint on these little pads. That was my first experience taking gouache out in a plein air setting. And that, I learned a lot. I mean, because this was an Alaskan cruise, I mean, you're on the go so much. And so even having a tripod and an easel to try to set up became cumbersome. So it was just, nope, I'm going to take my little portable palette. I'm going to take my little water wheel and my little tiny sketch pad. I'm just going to go. And mm. where this is going to, I, so I can't wait. I haven't yet even had a chance to sit down and do some full gouache studies, but I would love to take this plein air sketch, my photographs, and then in the studio here, work up an 11 by 14 or an eight by 10 on the arches watercolor paper, and then kind of improve upon that color note. Okay. So what I've asked a lot of artists this because it's something I'm really not sure about in my own landscape painting. I'm not sure where I want to land. How much of your landscape painting is more about capturing the scene, the way that it is being truthful to the scene and how much of it is about making a pretty picture? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe I shouldn't I say pretty picture because that makes it sound like bad. Like what I mean is how much no, of it is about creating a, uh, what, an ideal composition, to put it that way. Yeah. So, okay. I think it depends on the setting. Something like this where it's, I have no pressures. I don't have to perform. This is just me documenting what's before me, trying to mimic um, correct values. My shapes are obviously are not at all there. I mean, there's so much drawing that when I know I'm in the studio, I'm going to correct that. Um, so this, this specific instance is just specifically what are colors, shapes, how are the relations happening? And let me just try to document what's before me. For what now, purpose? A, For what purpose? Is it uh, to practice, to, to become more of a keen observer or is it yeah for reference more like for reference to come home now and say okay my photos obviously going to blow out some highlights or i'm not going to see into the shadows i'm now going to look at my little sketch here to say oh yeah that was warmer or redder in that shadow i'm mm. not going to ultra blue there i want i want these notes so then this becomes the color reference or the color notes then you can obviously use the photograph for the correct drawing or things like that. Okay. Um, and I love that you've in preparation for this podcast, I love that you said and mentioned that you did 13 years of not using a photograph. Jeff, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, I really you. do feel like in order to like up my level now, I almost feel like I should go out and just draw from nature, take paint out of the subject. Let's just draw. Let's just do, pen and ink sketches or something and really try to hone in on that high eye hand coordination. I don't know. So yeah, so yeah my 
intent with this because things were so quick, so fast. I was like, just lob it on there, try to get something to read. And obviously mm. I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah, perspectives are off. My drawing's off. But I well, I, I mean, it's beautiful though. That's why I clicked on it. I, and those oh. scenes are really challenging. Yeah. Okay. But I'm excited to come back and figure it out. Okay, let's see. So I'm, I'm looking for a few more gouache. Those Here's one. Okay, so that's the one that received the award at the American Impressionist Society show. Just oh, wow. Ago. The little six by six. Yeah, there it is. Six yeah. by six. Yeah. yeah. So this, this was a photograph. I don't know if there's more images that you can click on, but I showed my I photo so. reference and then how I digitally edited it. That's uh, probably let me wrong. see. I, let me see if I've got another. If you've got another post, yeah, you have to go way down. Uh, keep going, keep going. Anyways, but I digitally no. edited it. Did you? Okay, I don't see anything. Okay, no, that's fine. Maybe you can just tell us about it. So, what yeah, do you mean? So After just, you painted on location, you went back and digitally edited it. No, this one, I never did a painting on location. I was in Paris, Idaho, which is right over by Bear oh. Lake and great barns, great reference material. And so I had a photograph that I took and then I digitally edited it a little bit. And I think painting with gouache and even the landscape, it's just as much of what am I going to add in as what am I going to select out and not add in? Like I want that simplification of form. I don't want every single detail. And so digitally editing, I was able to just concentrate on what this painting was about. It was the barn and how do I lead in all other elements to highlight that barn? And so I changed the shape of the clouds a little bit, added some plank work on the roof um, hmm. and some path. And anyways, just painted that in gouache. And that was a limited palette. I think I did cerulean blue, yellow ochre, titanium white, obviously, and probably a cad red or a listen crimson. So it, as I practiced some really tiny little thumbnail sketches, I was able to hone in on that color palette. And I think it just kind of helped create number one harmonies, but also an impressionistic feel that gave it kind of a nostalgia a little bit. Well, you know, one of the things I notice about your work that I absolutely love is you have this mm -hmm. almost um, calligraphy quality to your line work. When you're doing fence oh. posts and rails or tree trunks and branches, you it's just, there's a grace to your marks that I really okay. find beautiful. And a weird thing that I love about your paintings is your signature. I know that's totally <laughs> weird, but, but you see a lot of, I mean, I love to see a signature that's beautiful and yet not contrived. It's just a signature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you just signed it, but it's still, there's something beautiful about the way you signed it without <laughs> it being overly thought of. Okay. Let's see go back. I just want to look at a couple more gouache before we go back to your oil here. Is it fair to say that when you're doing plain air, you're thinking more like a, a documentarian? And then when you're in the studio, you're thinking more about design and composition? Absolutely. Because anymore on location, I, I just, when I first started with plain air, I thought it had to be a finished painting. And then once I got over that and matured a little bit and realized, no, nope, these are just color notes and, and trying to gain knowledge to then take back to the studio to really understand further, it was just kind of freeing. And so I think you're right. It just becomes documenting 
color notes for sure. Um, mm. But again, at this point, these gouache studies, I mean, this was all in the studio. So these were not done plain air. Okay. So maybe, maybe you could direct me to some plain air work. So plain air gouache. So honestly, the plain air gouache. Okay. So this oil painting up of the barn go yeah. up. It's, uh, okay. So that's plain air. That's oil. Okay. So that, that is location. what you saw. That's yes. not an interpretation. Yeah. That's what you saw. Okay. Yeah. But you don't yeah. see that yeah. as a finished piece. You see that as just color notes, something to help you in the studio. I think it can be a finished piece. I don't want it to be a finished piece. I want to use that to then now say, okay, if that's an eight by 10, let me practice with some glazing on top of that. How can I bring out some different tones? Now I want to make this into a 16 by 20. I'm going to use my photograph, my plein air sketch to now work up the larger piece. Okay. What, I, what I'm asking though is in your, by your standards, is this what you would consider a study or is this what you would consider a finished piece? I'm just trying to recognize what you mean by I'm not after a finished piece out there. Oh yeah. So I, it's funny. Well, I would say this is more of a, I think it can stand as a finished painting, but I would consider this just a study. So this is what you're after when you're in the field. That's, that's what yes. you're after. Okay. Yeah. That's what I want to know I, because it's all so Sorry. subjective. People are like, some people say, I don't want to finish piece out there and their work looks more finished than someone who says they do want to finish piece out there. And it's like, I know. so it's totally subjective. It's true. And, and I think it's just because I've gotten better in my painting. Right, too. Like right. my, my craft increased. So yeah, cause I'd buy that. Get... I'd hang that in my house. Right. Right. So, but, but I get what you're again, saying. I think, yeah. And I think it, I'm learning too, that I don't want to let go of these so fast because it's not realistic that I'm going to be heading back up two hours away to go paint three days in a row. So I need to hold on to it to say, how can this inform other work that I'm doing? How can I, branch off of this idea here right does that make sense yeah okay what's another plain air piece okay well here's obviously okay, those one all, those are all plain air on location and you see how small they are like that was just a little six by eight but now i'm mm. wanting to make that larger. like honestly i would love to say okay i've done that six by eight now i'm gonna figure it out now i go back on site and do a larger piece. That was at Mormon Row in Teton National Park. That was just on paper. Yeah. And there's something to about doing oil on paper because you're like, it doesn't matter if this works or not. I don't care. It's fine. It's just experience and being on the field. So I see you've modified a Strata easel to make it work with gouache, taking off the parts of it, certain parts of well, it. Well, so that that's actually oil paint, oil paint on paper. Oh, well, what, what'd you take off the parts to clamp it in for I, I think it's because i lost my piece <laughs> so I, okay here i'm thinking you're being creative no nope, you're just <laughs> no <laughs> that's a bummer anyway shout out to strata brian mark taylor you see these everywhere uh, man that company's just screaming they're great yeah uh, let's see yeah okay, my here's washer. another one yeah, so that wasn't just in a sketchbook. And those are fun. That just feels more documenting because, you know, I like to write down um, like words, uh, soft or hard or 
airy or time of day and, and write down my note. And, and then these become, like I said, color notes that inform other paintings or I can look back on it and say, oh, it was that mood. How do I incorporate that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, these are great. It, I love it's your funny as my as my studio paintings have gotten better. I feel like my plein air has gotten worse because I'm I'm not going out there anymore with the intent of I've got to finish this painting, and that's kind of freeing. How for do you me. feel about that? Do you, I mean, letting your um, plein air paintings not be as strong? Well, I guess. I'm okay with it because I'm seeing growth in other ways. But just as we talked about earlier, I almost feel like I want to come back and say, just really go out there and draw. I feel like my drawing needs to be enhanced and increased. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. This so one's a this, knockout it, piece right here. Well, this was, this was a good experience because I went, and this is kind of the idea of how long, it, how long this really takes. It takes a lot of time. So this barn is no longer standing. It's completely demolished. And over a year's time, I was able to see it in, um, gosh, the heat of a July summer night where this, the light was just beaming on it and it was glowing. And then I saw it on a rainy day. And then I also saw it in this um, sense. And so from that, I have three different versions of this barn but I love that I've got it in three different types oh, wow. of light. That is awesome. And, and so it just, I mean, I never would have even conceived or thought of, well, let's paint it in this kind of light and let's do this. That's what plenary is where you're going out there and you're just responding to the experience and responding to lights and colors and shapes and design. And then, that all paired together creates this beautiful mood of, of the piece, whether it's a tonal, soft, rainy day or the brilliancy of a noonday sky. So, mm -hmm. so that one right. that you, that looked like sunset, was that one done plain mm -hmm. air as well? No, this was, I did a small one on plain air and I didn't like it. I don't know if I even have it. And so then I, in the studio back when you're like, free of all the stimulant, I just then take, try to figure out a better, more cohesive, mm -hmm. soft version of the plein air that I did on site. So, yeah, the reason I ask is because yeah. drawing that barn accurately and capturing that fleeting light would seem almost impossible. Yeah, so so that's why I think when you're, when you're in plein air and you're trying to capture that fleeting light, drawing just goes off the window. You're like, I'm just trying to capture coloring because then I can know I can figure out drawing more clearly on another day or with a photograph. I can use those tools to help me get correct drawing. But the color that you want to capture really fast, you know, a photograph may or may not be able to get that. And so then you're just haphazardly mixing paint and just trying to slap it on there to get a read of what you're seeing. I'm curious if you've ever thought about how you might accomplish a painting like that barn with the sunset without photos have you thought much about that if you if you were to do no, it but i want to after listening to your podcast because i'm like i think what i would probably do is go and take some time and draw from life and it could be a cloudy overcast day but then you're going to need to go back again to say okay if i've got western sun 
hitting this barn at this angle, I know my shadow is going to land on this left side of the barn. Mm -hmm. Like I know that just from observation. So then if I know they're drawing this barn from life on site and there is no sun, I'm going to have to say, okay, just get the perimeter lines, get shapes, get perspective a little bit, get relationships, knowing later on I might have to go revisit that in six more hours or in two more days to then say, okay, now I'm laying in the shadows. Now this is going to be established. So, yeah, I'm I'm inspired by what you've done, Jeff. I feel like I'm going to go up to Blue Lake and take three days and just draw, draw from light. Oh, well, thanks. Why not? I mean, so it, it, there's so many ways to do things, and but I, I just, the reason I wonder that is probably obvious, but because I never thought I'd use cameras again until COVID hit. So I thought, how am I going to do these really complex lighting paintings without a camera? Because you know people did it. They did. I mean, in the 19th century, well, I guess yeah. I guess in the, um, the 20th and 19th centuries, they had some cameras, but not color, though. So, right. yeah, so it was... Uh, would have been well and i think there, there's some good there too because i love in i've got a book by andrew loomis who was uh, i think it's titled creative illustration and in that book i've highlighted it that it talks about how the eye will select the camera will record and i think mm -hmm. that's exactly what the our studies or drawing from life is your eye is going to pick up what's important to me what is this is it about the one window with the a, a, something broken and it's hanging off or is it the overall shape and your eyes going to pick up on that and you're going to truly select what's most important to you and bring that out in the painting or the drawing yeah this episode is brought to you in part by rosemary brushes if you're one of my listeners who's a professional artist you're already using rosemary brushes but for the rest of you come on take your work a little more seriously Stop buying the other brands. It's just not worth it. Every now and then you may get lucky and buy a good brush from another brand, but use the brand that professionals like myself are using. Go to rosemaryandco.com, link in the description or the show notes, and get yourself some quality brushes before your next painting. Wow. So do you also have this one? Do you have I all think three I of do. these? Really? I do, but I don't like that one. You and don't? So I did this no. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think it's beautiful. Oh, well, I can't. It's hard to tell. Let me let, pull that back up. Let's see it with this screen. This is so small. I don't know if you can even see it. No, nah, we can see just, it, but not not terribly clearly. But yeah. it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Okay, let's so let's go ahead and look at go. We'll go back to your website now and look at some of your oil paintings. And what do yeah. you which do you value more your gouache or your oil? Oh, that's hard to say. I don't know. It's funny because in a sense, when I'm painting in gouache, my mind is in a place where I'm not having any expectation. And I think that's freeing for me and my personality and the way I work mm -hmm. to just intuitive nature come to the forefront and concentrating on line, shape, color, value, texture edges, and then intuitively saying, well, wait, I kind of want a soft edge here. Well, how do I manipulate that? I want a value pattern here. How do I do that? And things just naturally are coming about. And I think in a sense, they're almost a little bit stronger mm. because I'm relying more on an intuitive nature. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah, it does. Sometimes uh, in my not so distant past, I was so fearful of making a mistake in oil painting 
that it was almost debilitating and I was not loose. I was too tight. And it was so interesting because I, I had a painting and I showed it to my daughter and I was like, Aubrey, look at this painting, which I love because it was really loose. And now look at this painting that I was struggling with. And she said, it looks too tight. And I was mm. like, how are you as a nine year old able to describe that? And she just hit the nail on the head of what I was feeling. And I'm like, this is not how I want to be painting yet. And, uh, anyways, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see as things develop, um, what I find more, yeah, more strong. I don't know. It's interesting hearing you talk like this because it's so popular now on social media, really tight work. And people just eat it up. It's like eye candy. They're just lapping it up. And uh, it is impressive because the time that goes into it. But it's so hard to paint loose because you have to be so much more precise in every stroke. You have to get so much more done in a single stroke. And a lot of people just don't realize that. Yeah, I don't think they do. And it's you know, I look to artists. Are you familiar with Carolyn Anderson at all and her work? That rings a bell. But so she is incredibly loose. If you go Google search her work, I mean. Is she on Instagram? Can, uh, probably not. I think you need to go to her website. Okay. So is this her right here? That's her. Uh, okay, yes. here we go. Okay, here I'll look. Yeah, click on that. Holy love it. Moly. Love, love. Yeah, that's loose. Jeez Louise. Right? Isn't that beautiful? But look at all of her unfinished edges and how your eye connects them. And she's just creating this beautiful pattern of these unfinished forms and shapes, yet it's describing form and it's color notes. I mean, it's just beautiful. Yeah, people don't realize how well you have to draw to be able to do this. Yeah. You yeah. have to be a and really she, good oh, dress person. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, those are nice. But it's interesting too. As I've listened to her work, she's also very much paying attention to what light does on the color spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at her, their figures, she's taking it from like a red hot orange to maybe a, a, a cad red to an alizarin to then a, a purple to a turquoise. Like she's following the principles of what light does as it's refracted and hmm. it's so beautiful. Yeah, those are nice. Love it. Okay, so you're looking is do you want to get your landscapes to that level of looseness? Is that what I you're think after? It'd be kind of fun. I don't know. I want to try it. Like I just really? yeah, I still try it. But it's funny because I look at my work and I'm like, I don't know that I'm painting yet the way I want to be painting, but then I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. So. Yeah, isn't that the hard thing about being an artist? Is it everyone else's work <laughs> is so much better. To, uh, to to yes, ourselves, you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. it's brutal. that's exactly. What <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like my wife is just is she's so beautiful and she looks in the mirror and she just doesn't like what she sees, and I I equate that mm -hmm. and I think a lot of women are that way, a lot of men are that way, but mm -hmm. and I think artists are that way with their art. Is it's like looking in the mirror, even if it's the even if it's really high quality, you're so darn sick of looking at it every day because it's the thing that you make. Yeah. It's hard to appreciate. I agree. And I think that's too sometimes where, you know, and so I've got two trains of thought on that line. I think for me personally, it's been helpful to 
have entered associations and received some recognition because that's just a confidence builder to help me realize, okay, I'm on the right track and I can keep moving forward and I just keep going, keep doing what you're doing, keep exploring. And then I had another train of thought on that mind, but it just left me. So well, while anyways, you're thinking about it, let me yeah. ask you this. So one student asked me in class recently, um, one of my online students, she said, well, how do you define success? And as an artist, and I said, I said, well, a lot of people wouldn't like this answer, but I said selling paintings and she's, and you know, she would, I don't know if she was surprised or what, but I suspect some of my online students were, and I said, because I know a lot of people have this attitude. It's all about how you feel about your work, how, but in my opinion, great artists never like their work. The only way to measure success is if the world is appreciating what you're doing. Is there value? Are you putting something out there that is valuable to someone besides yourself? You know, and um, yes, and I that's how I feel about it. But I literally, literally a day later, I heard something on Instagram. Someone said, if you're an artist and things aren't working out for you, it all that matters is that you like it. And I'm just like, I could not disagree more with that. Like, I, because for, frankly, I never like what I'm doing. So what? <laughs> so yeah, I'm curious about what I your thoughts that, are with that. I, I think I'm right in line with that because I'm with you where I'm never satisfied and I almost have to look at that and say, well, take that as a good thing because that's going to help you to always be chasing and looking to reach higher. And then coupled with that, there is nothing more rewarding for me than to have someone who does not know me personally, has never met me, but sees a painting on a gallery wall or on Instagram and says, I love that so much. I want that in my life and, yeah. and we'll buy it on the merits of the painting alone. I feel like that is so rewarding. And it was interesting. I had one, um, uh, an artist who I would say dabbles at it, but he made a comment to me that kind of took me back for a minute. He said, well, how did you know you wanted to sell your work? And I was like, are you kidding me? That's always been the goal. Like I've always wanted to sell. I, what else would you I do never with even comp You're going to be a, be a narcissist like that sleeps with your paintings at night? I mean. <laughs> What are you going to do with it? But it was <laughs> so anyways, that's always been my goal. So, yeah, so. that's funny. I'm going to offend some people in this podcast, I think. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, that's uh, to me. It's funny because the arts are sort of a weird or the painting, the, the visual arts. Uh, people seem to treat them different than other crafts. I mean, if, if you were sure. a singer, no one would say all that matters is that you like your voice. No yeah, one would say true. that. No one would say that. I mean, it's the most ridiculous statement you'd ever hear. Yeah. yeah. Well, isn't it interesting within the art community that we value oil paintings above watercolor paintings? And I wonder. Yeah, who makes wash? these rules, right? I don't know. Like, can a pastel painting? I look at some of the work of Daniel Keyes with his pastels, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I would. Yeah, sometimes I can't tell the difference I... between an oil and a pastel with him. No. You can't. And I mean, I am fortunate to own one of his oil paintings and I, I look at it every day and, and then I'm just fascinated and floored by what he's doing with pastel. And you just feel like truly in today's world, artists are pushing these boundaries beyond anything that we, I think, expected. So, oh, yeah, which I would love to ask you, Jeff. I mean, you've had career now with social media and you've had a successful career without social media. How 
what would your advice be for a new artist, a young artist like myself, or what, uh, what have you seen been the benefits or the, the negative ben pros and cons to having well, a career now world of social media? I hate, I hate to, uh, you know, I've probably already shared way too much of my own opinion in this podcast. So I, I hate to talk about how I feel about things. So I'll keep it short, but I want to know what yours is after I'm done. And you're not going to like my answer. The answer is I have no idea because I, I don't think I have a social media career. I don't feel like I don't, I mean, I don't even know what that is. I mean, so I, I started in galleries and then I had six years in galleries and I was very fortunate to have enough success that when I took a uh, three year sabbatical to change my style, change my style, I'll put that in quotes, to, to um, rethink how I wanted to paint. When I left that sabbatical and started selling paintings again, I never went back into galleries. And that was in 2011 that I finished the sabbatical. So it's been t over 12 years um, or it's been 14 years, 15 years since I've even been in a gallery. But I've also never sold anything on Instagram. So everything has been residual from what I built for the first six years. And so I don't really know, you know, I tell my students just to do everything. Because frankly, I don't know. Enter contests, get in a gallery, do the social media thing, to just do everything. Because, if, yeah, like I said, I don't know. I think that's good advice. And honestly, I'm coming to the table not knowing what this art world looks like without social media. And so for me, I feel like, well, it's just something that you, it's like this fast track and try to figure it out and, and try to do it. And it feels overwhelming all at the same time. And you look at folks and you're like, how in the world did they do that? How are they accomplishing this? And it can be maddening, but I think you're right where you do it, but but get off it too and know that it's got no it was it easier back then it was easier back and then it, i'm telling yeah, you so this yeah. is how it worked for me i painted i shipped work to a gallery they did the marketing it was such a simple world back then they contacted the magazines they put out the ads they got you on covers they set up the shows they did everything now if you're not trying to keep up with the the new artists that are like have constantly making uh, reels, then you're going to, you're going to get lost. I mean, I'm not worrying about it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to become obsessed with having a huge social media presence. And because I just can't, I just don't want to. Um, but I, I'm not going to lie. It is, it is scary that now we have to do all of our own marketing too, because of social media. It's so frustrating. I just want to paint. That's what I think too. I'm like, I just want to paint. I almost feel like I need to hire somebody else to help do that, whether it's a virtual assistant or even, get, you know, the whole AI, we could go on a whole thing with that. But right. I think that's a helpful tool as far as getting, for me, where I lack vocabulary, it's really hard for me to sit down and type something out and get my thoughts out on paper in a clear, coherent way. Um, some of those AI tools can be incredibly helpful. So I think you're right. It just becomes look at it as a tool, use it as a tool. It's not the only tool and start grabbing from everything. Yeah, you got to try everything. And, you know, and I say that, but then I 
neglect my social media. I, I think I post on social media. I've been on social media maybe, I don't know, when did it start? I don't even remember. Maybe, I don't know. It maybe could... a decade, maybe eight years. I don't know. But I've only got 200 and something posts in eight years. <laughs> it's so oh, sad. I just can't be bothered. Like, no, it's tricky, dude, because I remember when I had like 300 followers, that was almost better. And I really don't have a lot of followers. I mean, compared to what people have out there. Yeah. I, I just, I'm small beans. But it was almost better to have 300 because it was the right 300 watching yeah. instead of and so there's that balance too i don't know i think yeah. you need it all well one thing i just one thing i believe and i've heard this said by other professionals is to really make a living as a painter you've got to sell at pretty high dollar otherwise you're working like a dog and you've got to sell every last painting so you got to get your prices up to a certain level and i don't think serious buyers are dropping 10 20 30 100 grand on instagram I just don't think it's happening. I don't, I don't either. And I don't think they're on Instagram looking at that because number one, no. they are busy lives. They don't have the time for it either. They're going to have relationships built up already with collectors and galleries and artists, just like you. And that's where they're going. They want the professional. They're not going to sit here and haphazardly scroll to find the next painting for their collection. Yeah. Like, I, I suspect that of my followers, I mean, it's totally just what I believe to be the case. I have no idea, no way of knowing, but I suspect that the, the, a huge majority of my followers are either other artists or aspiring artists, teenagers and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And there might be out of, out of however many followers I have, you might have two or 3% of people who actually are going to buy art. I bet it's even lower than that. I would agree. But I also look at that and feel like, well, what a great tool that those who are buying or aspiring artists get to see a little bit more into your process and, and take Instagram and these other social media platforms to say, let me open the door a little bit. Let me share yeah. with you how this and, and I feel like that's probably what was lost before where you didn't have that for good or for bad. You know, it definitely became if you want to see how an artist did it you're looking and taking a workshop from them now you're getting a little bit insider view and i think that can only help i mean how fun is it for followers to see that hey we did an alaskan cruise and now we've got this then it was a great experience and now you get to see more paintings from this experience that i had i think that's a great thing so yeah you know to put it in perspective this supports my theory i just had two showings of this crucifixion painting i just finished just it's been months now but I had two showings about a month apart and the mm -hmm. only marketing I did was Instagram and literally sending texts to collectors that I know. And yeah. the only collectors that came, I contacted them directly. Everyone else who showed up were other artists that wanted to see the painting or okay. aspiring artists or friends. You know, but yeah. the only collectors that came, came because I sent them an invitation personally. So mm -hmm. if that's any sign of what Instagram is bringing to the table, I mean, of course it's anecdotal, it's just me, but I mean, that's how it seems, you know? Yeah. So, yep. so anyway, yeah, I wish uh, I had more info on you in there. sounds like we're both in kind of, <laughs> we're both kind of wondering what's, what's going yeah. on. Yeah.
Okay, so what's next for you? I know you want to get looser, but is there anything else like upcoming shows, series that yes. you're thinking about doing? I think so for me and my sites of what's well closely coming up is the fall arts festival. So I'm actually um, thrilled that I get to be returning for the quick draw. So that'll be September 16th. I'll be with the Wilcox gallery and bringing new work and painting on site in the gallery, then also doing that quick draw on Saturday. Okay. Um, okay. So wait a minute. Are, are you going to spring city next week? No, 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 I'm not. Uh, bummer. You should go. I'm going, you should come down. <laughs> oh, I know. So again, like it's, it's so hard, this balance of like the prioritizing. I can't take off a week to do that if I'm going to be ah, taking off in two months. there. That's but too bad. Spring, It'd be great to see you down there. I love Spring City. I mean, that is the best plein air event in Utah. And they do, it brings in such great caliber of artists and the camaraderie there. It's, it's phenomenal. So yeah, you're going to have a great time. Okay. Sorry to cut uh, you off though. So what else is next? Oh, you're, you're good. So I think when I look at like, future future like 2024 i've had quite a few people reach out asking if i have any online instructions so that's something that i really want to put together put in place um and have that with wash and put an online course out there for wash and help others who are trying to figure out this century old medium but don't quite know what to do with it yet how to how to manipulate the paint um and then well, what will works, that look really like will that be kind of a mentorship or pre-recorded content pre-recorded content and then if it's something where yeah you want to sign up for maybe a slot uh an afternoon on a friday for 30 minutes and i can talk with you one-on-one -on -one and critique your work and offer feedback something like that that's kind of that's all up in here right nothing's right in place okay so something along those lines um and definitely working larger i feel like this is the time to get some larger pieces. I've, I've primarily worked small and I really want to get some larger pieces out there. Great. Okay. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear this, your answer to this next question, because you're pretty new. You've only been out for four years. So uh, what, what advice would you give someone who's uh, an aspiring artist? That's a good one. And I thought about that. And so I, as a Christian, as a woman of faith, I've got a one, two, three, four part answer. And the first would be to ask and seek for God's help because I know that he's there and he will be there to help that artist navigate this new world. Then second would be to find a mentor, find someone that you gravitate to, that you would or appreciate, that you align your, your sights with, that you admire their work and learn everything you can from them. And then, uh, Third one would be to act and to really put forth the mileage, the time to practice. And then fourth would be to just give yourself time. Allow this whole process, allow it to have time and it'll work. And the right people will see what you're doing. You'll see success and growth in your own work. And again, it'll happen. It'll happen magically behind the scenes. It will come about. And that would be my advice. That's great. That's great. I agree with all four of those things. So I appreciate that, man. It was great to get to know you. I'm really sad. You're not coming to spring city. If you change your mind, I, if you change I your mind, think... we'll have to get together. It'd be so great. It'd be really good. Yeah. So next time I'm oh, be good. Well, if you ever I'll come down, down towards Salt Lake city, definitely look me up. 
Yeah, so I actually have a painting that's going to the OPA show. So that's in October, so I'll for sure be down. Okay, for so that. that is in Brushworks Gallery, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You realize that's literally one block from my studio. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Kate. so if you don't stop oh. by, I'm going to be seriously offended. It's okay, one block we'll from, my, okay, wait, let me exaggerate. It's two blocks. Because <laughs> if you walk right through the block diagonally, it's one, but you have to go turn left. So two blocks from my studio. Perfect. So, well, yeah, and congrats great. on being in that show. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it'll be for you, Matt. Yeah. It'll be really good. Well, thanks again Absolutely. for being on mine on my show. It yeah. was an honor. It's an honor. And I love what you're putting out there. I've, I've truly enjoyed listening to the other podcasts that you have. You're great. You allow the artists to just talk and flow. You ask great questions. So thank you. Truly, truly an honor to be part of it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.